Hello everyone, it's Trials Week here in Newmarket. A fitting time then for Scott and Fellows to reconvene and give us the lowdown on their stables as the turf season really starts to gather momentum. Yes, welcome to episode two from series five of George and Charlie Off the Bridal. George Scott, Charlie Fellows and myself, Tony Rushmer, bringing you an inimitable blend of chat in the horse racing podcast supported by Fitstairs. Hiya, chaps. Exciting time of year, this, isn't it? whole town is buzzing right now. Feels like the first day of the year out there. Sun shining, breeze up on in the background, four meetings on... On, uh, on Saturday, so the agents are scrambling for cover. No all-weather meeting, so I won't be making any entries. <laughs> no, jokes aside, I've got entries at all four meetings. This weekend? Yeah, well, Oof. entries, you know, I love an entry. <laughs> <laughs> I love an entry. If you, if you don't put them in, you can't have a look at it. So where are we? We're Newbury, Newbury Nottingham, Brighton, You're... and Thursk. Brighton. Yeah, well, I've entered a two-year-old. I've got my first two-year-old entry. Oh, yeah. what's it by? Profitable. Okay. It's part of my trading syndicate. Oh. So it'd be quite interesting to see how we can. I bought eight horses um, for, a, for a, just for a trading partnership. And... Um, Could it go? Yeah, he goes okay. I mean, I think, he, I think he'll need the run first up, but I would be hoping that he, he could win second up and then he might be a Windsor Castle candidate. For Where someone. have you entered him? At Brighton and, and Nottingham. Brighton. But Nottingham only had eight entries by the time I got in the car, whereas Brighton had about 15. So Ground. I don't know why that... Ground? Yeah, Brighton will be better ground, but um, peop- there's, there's always that big rush towards those tracks because everyone thinks they're going to get a freebie, but there's so many good two-year-old trainers now. You, do, you never get one. It's competitive. What about you? No, I don't run anything at Brighton or Thursk or anywhere <laughs> like that. They're far too sharp. Uh, I've got four entered at Newbury. Oh, of course you have. Yeah. Grand Alliance for the Je- for the Geoffrey Freer, whatever it, uh, the, like it's been renamed. Atrium, possibly in the Spring Mile. What happened to Atrium? Come on. Well, you had a great meeting at Doncaster. Yeah. But he, he, I mean, he did let you down. I was watching um we'll come on to his good filly the dream later but i i was i told charlie i was i was upstairs here actually had the kids and oh, yeah. mum goes charlie fellas has just had a winner i said oh you can't be serious that the dream hasn't won walked downstairs it won half the half the screen i was absolutely <laughs> mortified <laughs> mortified um what happened to atrium interesting well kieran schumacher's always felt that he's one of those horses that actually doesn't really like being right in amongst them uh, he's always felt he runs best when he gets a little bit of air. And th- because he was drawn right in the middle that day and the, there looked like there was a nice strip of ground sort of just stand side to middle, everything just swamped over on top of him. And he just said he just curled up. It's a bit claustrophobic. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, to be fair to him, every time he has one, he has sort of got a bit of daylight. And um, But he'd worked the week before and he absolutely worked all over Gorak, who sluiced up. On the you, Sunday. You but since you've been doing a very good job of getting him beat. Well, I had to run him, didn't I? <laughs> it was very unlike you. Well, he was £10 well in. Yeah. And he takes his racing Gorak, very well. I've Gorak run him twice. Twice. He's run him three times to in be, the space of about a week. To be fair, style. to be fair, he was a bit unlucky at Redcart, where we were drawn 13 or 14. He had no chance that day, only beaten three lengths, and then ran on bottomless ground, bumped into one of Archie's that absolutely hosed up. It was a funny day that at uh, Leicester, wasn't it? Because it was flag starts all around. The two-year-old yeah. flag start was quite interesting. They ran that two-year-old race in a minute 10. Sh- do you think they should have raced that day? Yeah. 
You do. You think they were, they were fine? Yeah, yeah get enough. on and get on and race. There's no, no good calling meetings off, you know. Yeah. And okay, they had quite enough. good field sizes, apart from a couple. Yeah. Didn't we'd, a horse fall over in the last day? I didn't see that. We'd, um, we'd sat here last time, and I think you were crabbing for Dream, and I didn't half laugh that day when the Dream did win. You probably... No, do you know what? Do you know the best thing that happened, right? He, he worships one person, a guy called Andy Holding, okay? Professional punter. A lot of people listening to this will know this guy. And he gives George a little bit of a steer on his runners. He speaks to him every day. George idolises Andy. <laughs> after <did>. the dream, <laughs> after the dream ran at Donny, Andy sent me a message saying it could have just been a freak result, but the figure that the dream did at Doncaster yesterday or on Saturday was one of the best sprint performances we have seen in the last ten years. Not not just sort of. of I mean, he's a human. Race, he can it? make mistakes. <laughs> but, uh, but like he said, it was a phenomenal time. Like unbelievable. So that slightly he's changed his tune. No, I mean, to put some context in that, Andy Holding is a guy who, t who tips for odds checker, just the nicest guy in the world. And, and it's just the absolute poster boy for odds checker, which is the betting website. He does all his own speed figures with a couple of other people. And, and it's just so interesting the way he puts them all together. And as a result, yeah, Charlie's fully got a massive number. And then I was delighted to see him, to, delighted to see him get all overexcited and run her back a few but days later. Back. You didn't have to run her back. 150 grand, 150 so grand. There's going to be loads of opportunities for her no, on the grass. She, was... She's all excited, springing his status, run her back and the bubble's burst. Anyway, the bubble's not burst because we know she's a soft ground uh, horse. And I now have never been more of the opinion that she could have a big one in her this year if things go right as long as you mind her and train her properly oh, not run her every I week you, the day i take advice from you on <laughs> george, um, george your horses have been running consistently well as well haven't they Wolverhampton. yes they have yeah <laughs> my home track yeah. my parents live half an hour i grew up half an hour away from wolverhampton oh the half an hour away from birmingham not towards birmingham that put me in birmingham and my What's dad birmingham Nothing. Yeah. I just wouldn't like to <laughs> live in Birmingham. I put apologies to all of our listeners, listeners who live in Birmingham. From all our three. It doesn't mean it. <laughs> um, but they've been running well. They've been you running be great. Pleased. And Wolverhampton has been lucky. My dad always goes. He's a farmer in Shropshire and he always goes. I think he just goes because he gets he has two pints and he just gets an hour to himself. Every time he goes, bloody horses win. It's so, so it's been, it's been great. We've had a really good start. We've had, I think we've had eight winners, sort of 17%. And it's been really solid and we've left a few on the table. You know, we've had circumstances that haven't gone to plan. They should have should have won. But what I've been really pleased about is those horses that probably should have won their races. I've found a race for them a week later. We've changed the tactics and they've won. You know, Melly's Flower and Eight Mile. And yeah, it's been really good. I mean, we, you know, you just want them to stay healthy. <laughs> if they stay healthy, they can win races. But if they don't, then that's when it just becomes pretty scary. What's the chat like on the hill in the month of April, guys? I, I know you all congregate and shoot the breeze with one another on Warren Hill. Uh, I should imagine there's that sort of sense of, like you just alluded to it there, first day of the year, kind of New Year's Day sort of feeling with it all about to happen. It is kind of a busy, crazy busy time for you chaps, isn't it? As you said as well, there's a sale on, lots happening, lots of horses, lots of owners. What sort of, would this be among the busier weeks of the year, months of the year? Yeah, I mean, for sure. But it's, it's just a great time to train now. You know, the winter is the winter is cold and fairly boring. 
and when I say boring, I'm comparing it to, to the spring and the summer, you know, the excitements in the spring and the summer. So this, this is a really busy week. I don't spend as much time talking nonsense on the hill as my friend on the right because I train on the other side of town. But the great man, the great hill chatter was, was Palmer who sadly left us and gone to Cheshire. I mean, there would be times when he didn't go back to his yard. He would just talk to everyone through the whole morning and just watch his horses come up lot after lot, after lot as he chatted away. So he, he was always a good focal point, but it's, it is a busy time. It's a good time. It's a great time. And we are at our busiest. We've got sales on, gallop, horses are building up to 100% fitness now the ones that have had a holiday so there's a lot of a lot of quicker work a lot of the harder work is being done at the moment so you're slightly watching them through your fingers hoping that it all goes clear that you don't pick up too many injuries you will inevitably pick up niggles you just hope that none of them are too bad sort of season ending anything like that I have to say it's it's a really it's a really hard part of the game is these injuries, you know, and I'm not, not just talking about career ending injuries, just these niggling issues, which you get. I mean, there isn't a day that goes by that there's not a new fresh issue to deal with at some level. I do think, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I felt that this has been a really good, like we've had it good this year with the especially with the weather lots of rain i've used i think everyone has used the grass 200 times more than they have but you know remember last spring it was really really dry you were barely getting your horses on the grass this year i think i've had i feel like i've had as good a pre-season as i could possibly have had we picked up a couple of niggles but nothing absolutely disastrous and I, I, just yeah big time conditions I just think have been very good we've used you know they haven't even opened the lime kilns yet we've had so much we've had so much rain do you use waterhall or do you box them over to racecourse side or what where's your preferred gallop I say I used to use waterhall a lot interestingly I haven't used it once this year I've been coming over to George's side a lot this year at the back of the flat in my opinion which runs parallel to the racecourse and then bends around at the top I think has been a very good condition this, this year I think the grass growth on there has been better than I've ever seen it and where the where Waterhall is, is it's right on the inside, so it's very tight and quite short. It is also a mammoth exercise. You know, you're talking an hour and a half back. And so I actually haven't used it anywhere near as much this year. A lot, you know, John Gosden, Fanshaw, Haggis, they've all been up there loads. But I just wonder if maybe if back of the flat had been a bit closer to them, they might have used that a bit more. I, you know, I'm lucky I'm in a good position for that. But so no, I haven't used Waterhall, but I've used uh, I've used over George's side a lot this year. So the flagship gallops haven't opened yet in Newmarket. No, no, you know, the big we, ones. We, we, we haven't needed to. We have the summer gallop on on Racecourse side and the and the lime kilns on 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 Barry side, and that that really is and the, the green flags go up when they when they open. But Charlie said we've been able to get on the grass plenty without using them. We talked about racing and it's an exciting time of year for our sport. It's just a great month for sport, isn't it, April? We've got the Premier League season drawing to a conclusion. That looks exciting at both ends of the table. We've got Augusta, which is John Rahm one, the snooker at the Crucible. There's lots happening, isn't there, at the moment? God, I had an absolute nightmare in the bloody Masters. It's no good. I backed, who did I back? I backed like a dickhead. I backed Rory, of course, like everyone what else did. Rory? He just didn't turn up. He just, I, I don't know. I'm, I think he's this, I, I feel like there's so much pressure on him to win this final major. Yeah. And it just, it's in his head. Yeah. yeah. Big time. And, and everyone said, oh, in the build up, he's so much more relaxed and he's done everything differently. 
And yet he got onto that first tee and he just he just didn't turn up again. And oh, the weather's cold. It's going to really suit him. And like a mug, I fell for it and went and backed him. I also backed, who else did I backed? Uh, Minwoo Lee, who didn't make the cut. And Sun Im, who actually had a bit of a good run towards the end, but didn't get in the top 10. And I also, I mean, this summed up my betting. I backed Will Zalatoris, who pulled out two minutes before he was meant to tee off. Uh, uh, but the, 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 the Tiger narrative's quite intense as well, which would, with the lead up, lead up to the competition, where Tiger's saying, I'm convinced Rory's going to do it at some stage. It's just a matter of time. It's just more pressure, isn't it? It's I was going to say, Rahm's driving was immense. He barely missed a fairway and he was just rock solid, wasn't he, down the stretch where you have to be and uh, was a worthy winner in the end. He was, uh, I should have backed him after the cut. Had got, yeah, yeah, I was, was going to say, did you restock? I should have restocked. I, I, yeah, if I had... Oh, uh, he wasn't a big. He was like seven to four, but he wasn't. He was nigh on a certainty. Like he wasn't going to throw it away, and he was so solid. He was playing very good golf. But it is amazing. Have you been? I've been twice. It's have the you? Best sports ticket I've ever oh, had, and I've been lucky enough, like we all have, to go to some really good venues. But Augusta is even better when you actually attend. Isn't it as beautiful there as it, it is, is on the tree? It's amazing. The, and and when you walk down, you. you walk down there, exactly. Remarkable. That was incredible, it's wasn't it? There was loads of people there. Side of him. <laughs> uh, when you walk down to Amen Corner, you go down 10, you go down 11. It is a sh- it's, it's steep, you know, as you descend. And then you get down to that, that spot that we all watch on telly every yeah. year and you just think, there's no better view. You've got uh, where they don't have it any longer, but they used to have a, a small media stand there where you could look over the 11th green to your left and then you're virtually behind the tee shot into 12 and the 13 tee shot comes whistling back past your ear. Really? It's just, it's just, I was there for Mickelson's first green jacket uh, and that was just immense. He held an 18 footer to yeah. beat um, Ernie Els. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, it's the best sports ticket. You must go, Chad. I genuinely think. You must go. I'd rather go to Coachella. No. <laughs> If I'm being honest, I genuinely think that it would be playing around there would be number one on my bucket list. Anyone who's listening to this that could make that happen, uh, I would really like to do that. I know you'd make someone a very, very happy man. Uh, Uh, But yeah, I'd I'd just love to play around there. It's it's an unbeatable place. And actually, uh, there's a press draw. Haven't come out in it yet. But if you're working press, you can put your name in at the beginning of the tournament and you can play on the Monday. How good would that be? Um, but I wonder, I mean, it's one of those where you think, Charlie, you play off about, what, seven or eight? No, no, ten. Ten, and that's a bad ten at the moment because I haven't played in eight. I would say, do you think you'd break 90 round there with the speed on those greens? No, not I hope. No. No. Indeed. Premier League, that's the other thing I wanted to chat to you about, Charlie. And indeed, you, you've got Chelsea inclinations. You must be pretty upset about what's going on, George. Fascinated more than anything. I thought when the Lampard appointment came, I, I couldn't believe it. I nearly, fell, I nearly fell off my chair. But then I listened to it. But what, what were their options? You know, yeah. the rush, in, rush into another manager who didn't fit. They've just bought, you know, they just built, bought, themselves, bought themselves some time. I mean, it's an absolute disaster, the whole, th- mm. the whole thing. But the way that they've spent and the way they've gone about things. I mean, what Potter, it was impossible. Apparently there were so many players in the training room and they were getting dressed out in the corridor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just mad. So yeah, but like, poor old Lampard, well not poor old Lampard, it was a, it was a, it was a win-win or a lose-lose, however you want to look at it, wasn't it? Yeah. Tough gig. Forrest, are they staying up or are you a little bit concerned now? No, no, we're going down. And you're going to take your manager down with you? We're going down. And I really, really, I pray we take our manager down yeah. with us yeah he got to. i was talking to an owner i was talking to joe soyser this morning and i said to him he was really despondent after the man united game and i was like look i've pretty much come to the opinion that we're going to go down what we've got to remember is a 
we've got actually when you the bare bones the Lingards and people like that they'll go but the squad that we have assembled over the last summer is a very 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 good squad and they should be very very dominant well not dominant but they should you know what the championship like is impossible but they should be a very 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 good team next year Cooper has earned the right to have a go in the championship and get us back up. What he has done over the last 18 months is had all of us fans dreaming again. That day at Wembley that I went to when we went up, I mean, it was the best sporting day I've ever had in my life. And for that and for that alone, he deserves to be stuck by. And if we go down, so be it, we go down. If we have a bad start next year, then he's in trouble. But he deserves at least to hold us, hold on to us. Because what he he had no chance. No manager could have gelled that many players and got them. Like it's remarkable that we're not down already. Well, in my opinion, situations to Chelsea, but on a different scale, just bringing that many. But we had into to, whereas squad. Chelsea didn't have to do what they've done. Whereas we had absolutely no choice. I guess the problem would be if you bounce back up, the the the, the gremlins of this year might be ringing in their ears. So you but need at a least new man to try and keep you up. But at least year. the team will have been playing with each other for two slash two and a half seasons, and they will. No, these guys, half of them have been playing with each other for a couple of months. Yeah, They don't have a clue what they're doing. Most of them have never played English football before. Stick with Steve then. But the only thing I would say is you could be in a really ruthless championship if Everton and Leicester join you. Oh, it yeah, looks like well, Southampton no, will go. Southampton, Southampton will go. Southampton they're down. done. Yeah, they've I run their race. I think we're done, personally. I, I'd, be a me- I'd be delighted if we're not, but I think we're done. And then it's either Leicester, Leeds or Everton. The others are all safe. Yeah. Bournemouth, how the... Fuck! Incredible. Bournemouth got safe. Incredible. Where has that come from? What a run! What a run! Oh, Did you I see mean, that they game at Spurs for me. I thought it was Southampton and Bournemouth. Shambles, Spurs are a disgrace. They're such a horrible club. What as a well. pathetic Every- excuse for a football club. They Everyone need to go and look at themselves. Them as well, they're just so miserable. How did they concede <laughs> a third goal? Like, what are they doing? Um, <sighs> So who's going down then? Who would you pick of those big clubs? Leicester cannot get out of their own way at the moment. They are appalling. But they've just been asset stripped effectively over the last I think 18 Leic- months. I think Leicester are going to go. I thought Brendan Rodgers should so be bad. a man for one of the big jobs. He's a brilliant manager. He's yeah. done. A, he's just swam against the tide with no support, has he? I mean, he can't do any more. He he's could checked get your out. job, couldn't he? Yeah, definitely. He checked out of that club a long time ago, didn't he? You could see even before. They had a good run into the World Cup, but he was just dead behind his, you know, his interviews. He was sick of it. Last bit of sports chat before our guest. It is April, and that means the cricket season. Are either of you donning the whites this year? I know that you, you've bashed a few around over the years, George. You'll be definitely captain your side. Won't you? Do you captain them or do you just turn I did out? captain, yeah. It's, I'm, I, I like captaining my teams I play in. Suits me. He can't do anything other than fucking captain because he's so opinionated and he has to have everything his own way. So everyone's just like, George, you, you do it. I can't, I li- literally cannot be bothered no, to no, hear you. Got, I'm a natural driving, leader. backseat I'm a natural, driving down, a, down a fine leg. Naturally. Are you, are you off the long run or are your days gone? No, I'd, I'll try and play a bit of cricket if I can. It just slightly depends how much fatherhood gets in the way because it's Sunday, so which is not ideal because yeah. we work every day. And then if I then turn around to my wife and say, sweetheart, I'm just going to go and pop off and play a game of cricket all Sunday afternoon. Well, although it is it in your kids. garden, practically pretty much, if we play on the severals. Oh, the severals one is different. That's quite, that's sort of more fun. But yeah, I, the, I like playing for the trainers team, but it's not that easy. I think we're going to play um, midweek and evening games at well, the Good Oh, really? Yeah, that's the chat. But that get me out in bath and bed. Yeah, fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Time for a guest. 
The guest debate is always a lively one on our WhatsApp group. Plenty of chat about who we'd like to attract to the podcast. The aim's always to engage with someone in lively, entertaining and perhaps opinionated conversation. This episode's guest is likely to fulfil all of those criteria and more. We're pleased to welcome ITV and Sky Sports Racing broadcaster, Mr Matt Chapman. Matt, many thanks for taking the time out to come and join us today. Hello, everyone. Really, really appreciate being asked on. I, I feel like, well, you know, it was a big day when ITV called up and said, come in. But <laughs> now, now I feel I've really made it. And I can only think that Ollie Bell wasn't available. <laughs> Matt, no, thank you for joining us. The last time I saw you was in Emma Banks's basement and you were wearing pyjamas. How have you been since then? Yeah, well, to be honest, anyone who's been to an Ember Bank party before knows that night gear is usually appropriate. So um, I just came. I thought it would just end up in a great big sort of orgy, which yeah, I, were there. I wonder why you came with the handcuffs. <laughs> was Callum Shepherd there too? <laughs> Callum was obviously there yeah. because he knew George would be there. And this is a beautiful thing that's happened in the world of horse racing over the last few months. And it's something that we really should um, embrace, I think. It's, it's, it's great. And, it, and as Charlie was saying to me just the other day, actually, it explains a lot of questions that needed answers over the last year or so. But maybe this podcast isn't the thing we should go into on that. Can we just put that into context? I um, was doing what I do best and training winners. And uh, Matt was at Lingfield interviewing Callum Shepherd, who um, did the steering. And, and uh, Matt said, well, I can't remember the exact words, but basically said, I like having sex with George or something like that, wasn't it? And oh my God, you were like a dog with a bone. Callum had four winners and it just went on. And my Twitter went off and off and off and off and off. <laughs> the thing with TV is that you're always trying to, I mean... <laughs> People think that the secret of TV is being able to talk, etc. And obviously that helps a little bit. But actually, it's it's being quite quick thinking and, and trying to grab a moment. Whether in this case, obviously, it, it was a silly moment, but it was you, you're waiting just for that little thing, particularly on a sort of relatively dull card. You just want one little line, and also. Callum is quite sharp and he's a little bit chippy, not in a nasty way in any way whatsoever, but he, he if if it had happened the other way around, he would have grabbed it himself. So I was I was happy to look, I'm just, I'm happy for you for, for you, George, because you need to pick me up and you've got one and I hope it works out well. It was it was the moment of realization on Callum's face when he when he asked is this is this is this live that made me particularly laugh <laughs> i tell you you enjoyed it the most was michael bell he's sending it to my parents he just couldn't you know what he like, could not get over it <laughs> matt um no we're, we're so pleased to have you on and um you know the last few years has just been a, a really you know a really sort of meteoric rise for you and and um you know i i just from looking from the outside it, I feel like you've had to work overly, overly hard to, to get where you are and also maybe at times to get the racing community and maybe the public on side. But there feels now a real shift towards you in a, posit in a positive way. Everything you say now is taken very, very seriously. And do you feel that's the case? And do you feel like what sort of journey do you feel like you've been on personally? And, is, you know, does that, does that relate to you, what I've said? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, on a on a on a jokey side of that, and I'll get it in before I'm sure you horrible two individuals get it in to to say that everyone takes note of what I say on the back of me saying that Corrett Rambler could not win the Grand National. Uh, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, 
perhaps puts things into perspective a little bit. Um, although that in itself perhaps gives gives a story about myself because it was an opinion. And what was interesting, actually, although we've already gone off piece slightly, is that Corrick Rambler was ridden in a completely different way to the way he is normally ridden. And my whole theory with him was the fact that it was going to be hard for a horse who needs to be held up just about last in a 39 runner field to weave his way through the whole pack. But as it happens with the circuit to go, he was in about sixth place and he was, he just was ridden like a normal horse. And so, so in some ways my theory was right, but they'd already thought that through and the execution of their plan was absolutely brilliant. Coming back to this, to, to your original point, um, George. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I've never really considered it hard, but when I look back, I mean, I've worked, bloody hard along the way um and while none of it is actually work um getting to a position where you can be in a position where you can do a job like this and it's not work is hard work if you see what i mean like i'm i speak to you uh when i'm going to windsor for a day i've got eight races 35 minutes gaps it's, it's quite a sloggy afternoon but you can't say it's work because it's not like going on a building site and laying bricks for 10 hours and not earning very much money so you, you one thing i do is always look forward to it but but it hasn't always been easy i mean i had nothing to do with horse racing and i've always been willing to give an opinion and be quite outspoken from the chance that i've i i had eventually to do that and when someone comes as an outsider and starts saying things that you know the horsey people might not necessarily agree with everything you're saying it's always going to take a long time look i started off when you know um, Pat Hedry was still riding effectively when I was first working. Willie Carson was still around. Um, I mean, I don't look old, but I, I've been around a bit now. And so the jockeys nice. who are riding, yeah, the jockey, the jockeys who are riding now have all grown up with me. Every yeah. since they were born, they have seen me on TV. So I think for them, particularly and the young trainers like yourselves, I am nothing new. But certainly in my sort of first 10 years, it, it was quite hard. And I didn't get on telly first straight away. I was a news reporter on the Racing Post. I got into telly purely by doing stateside on the old At The Races. And I did the night shifts from 10 in the evening till 2 a.m. And as with all these things, you know, if you are, if you feel you've got a bit about you in any walk of life, you put yourself about, you try and work hard. If, if you think you can do something, then there are usually opportunities if you've got enough nous about you to 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 get on in life. And not everyone will want to do that, but I always wanted to because I love the game. I just love it. Uh, Matt, you and I, I think we have a, a huge amount in common. You know, we're very similar backgrounds. We both went to the same school, although we sadly didn't overlap, which is devastating. <laughs> Although you're older than me, so you probably would have bullied the crap out of me if I'd been there. But how did you how did you first get into racing? What was you know, as you say, you're not from a racing background at all. What 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 have, how where did that interest sort of spawn from? So my mum um has always had a little bet every day, and we're talking, you know, your 50p each ways up to about a fiver every day that I've ever known her. Um she does that and she does, she's 80 now and she's still doing that. And she walks down to her local bookies every day and she'll bet up to a fiver, maybe a tenner if she's really pushing out the boat. She'll wake up with her paper in the morning. She'll go through the runners. So 
that is definitely where it came from. My dad was a music historian. He had absolutely no interest in horse racing at all. Um, and he died before I ever got on telly or anything. So he'd have no idea what I eventually got doing. And he wanted me to be a musician, which was what I was trained to do. But I had no interest in doing that. During my last year at university in London, um, I wrote to every newspaper in the country. And the only paper that responded was The Independent. And at that time, The Independent was only just getting going. Um, and it had on the news desk John Cobb, who, who was the man in charge. He now works on the Racing Post. But I had there um, Richard Edmondson, who at the time was, you know, he doesn't do racing anymore. Um, his wife is a, a famous news, uh, news Sky News reporter, does all the wars and everything. Um, Greg Wood was on the Independent at that time. So we had a really good race. In the days when racing desks had like four or five reporters, you know what I mean? It's, it's crazy when you think about it now. Um, so I wrote to them. They said, yeah, you can come up and work on the news desk one day a week during your last year at university. So I did that every, every day during my last year um, or every week during my last year. And I learned how to sub race cards. Um, I introduced in the independent a uh, foreign tend to follow because foreign racing wasn't a big deal in those. So I had this idea, like I'll do a French tend to follow at the start of the season and things like that. Uh, I covered the Greyhound Derby, like it was only two paragraphs, but it felt like, like 20 pages when you just, you know, you've never had anything in a newspaper before. I, I would do anything that they asked me and I did it all for free. I didn't get paid or anything. And then when I left by pure coincidence and people ask like, why, you know, I'm not a typical Radley, and if you put me and Charlie together, someone would say, yeah, he's he's typical Radley, Charlie Fellows. Uh, who's this Matt Chapman lad? He doesn't look like he went to Radley. Um, but the one thing it does help you if you go to those schools is that you meet people that you might not meet in other situations. And whether we like it or not, particularly in horse racing, to be quite frank, because of the ancestry of the sport. And my best friend, Charlie Broom, his godfather was desmond stoneham who was the french racing correspondent for the racing post at the time and worked at a company called the international racing bureau in newmarket and at that time they've cut down since as everyone has but at that time they had four people in their editorial department in the irb and the guy at the bottom was retiring and desmond rang me up the day i left university and said look i know you can write well i know you love horse racing would you like to come in as our number four in our editorial and I obviously just said yes straight away. So I went down to Newmarket, hated Newmarket with a venom because, again, I was a complete outsider and I wasn't from a rich family. Uh, you know, we were OK, but I found Newmarket was either pretty rich people or pretty poor people and not much in between. And I knew no one. And, and you guys would know that because you're there. I mean, everyone knows who you are. But if you don't know anyone in Newmarket and you're not working in a yard or something, it's, it's quite an isolating experience. And after two years, I begged and begged and begged for months and months and months for the Racing Post to take me on. And they did. And then I did news reporting on the Post for about six years and did ended up doing a bit of telly by putting myself about. And then it went from there. Fantastic. Wow. I mean, it's quite quite a story. And I tell you what you would have done is cover the Grand National year on, year out. I'm not sure. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm not sure whether you've been a huge, huge fan of the race or something that you've, we've all grown up watching. We weren't there on Saturday, Matt. And we're fascinated to know what it felt like being there in that situation, in that cauldron and what effect it had on, on, on the race itself. And also, yeah. Matt, how you felt after the race. It was a very sort of dramatic day and it, it probably it didn't go how anyone really hoped it would go. 
And I'm just very interested to know you've been a you've been very vocal, especially in your criticism of the BHA and stuff like that. And I just was wondered what you felt about the whole day on Saturday. Okay, let's start with what it felt like first of all. Um, it's amazing how long a 15 minute delay can seem. Um, yeah. And it, you, you know, those films where they say you've got three minutes to live, or it suddenly makes you realize like either how short time can be or how long time could be. And, you know, a 15 minute, I could have a 15 minute today at almost any race any week with a horse, you know, needing a farrier or something like that down at the start. It's, but at that, in that race at that time, those 15 minutes felt like, I mean, five hours might be stretching it, but it, it, it felt like a long time, a lot longer than 15 minutes. And once start, people started getting onto the course, you did fear slightly. I mean, I don't know how they glue themselves onto things because I try and glue an envelope down and it never sticks, but they seem mm -hmm. to have what, whatever glue they use, they should publicize that because it seems to stick in milliseconds. Mm. Um, but that, that was a worry. I also did feel watching it that even though everyone had had these warnings, that there just clearly weren't enough police around. I mean, they ultimately did a really, really good job. So don't get me wrong here. But just the fact people could get onto the course seemed, I, I know it's a big space, but, you know, there has to be army in vicinity. There has to be police in the vicinity. I mean, you almost needed, you know, a police person or, or some sort of authority every five foot from one another you didn't need someone like a hundred yards away from the next guy or something or the woman um so i did feel that that they clearly didn't have enough on track for all that they dealt with it in the end ultimately pretty quickly the scale of the, 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 the you know the amount of people that were trying to get onto the track is quite quite an operation wasn't it i mean it is quite a scary thing i mean i was there working for the racing post when the bomb scare happened yeah I had a great night, actually, funny enough. We went off into the into the local student union. It was a really good night. But anyway, that's another story. Um, <laughs> but I remember it clearly. <laughs> Not one I'm going to forget, lads. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's different. Uh, but yeah, so um, it, it is dramatic, and you wonder when it's going to end, because it only needs some fences to be set alight or something like that, and, you know, you're away. Um on that, you have to say that it wasn't a peaceful demonstration for a start, and it's meant to be a peaceful demonstration. Um, you, you know, it's the, the, these demonstrators do not go through with what they preach, to be quite honest. I mean, if you're going to have a peaceful demonstration, you don't climb gates and throw ladders and try and shove yourself off a police person. Um, so I think the demonstrators let themselves down. Ultimately, though, it was dealt with well. Um, we had the one scenario that none of us wanted, which was a horse dying. But those of us who are in this game know that that is just a fact of the game. And I think that's a reality. We have to hammer home that there is going to be, or there are going to be deaths in this game. So there's no point in going into conversations about, um, you know, the conversations going on right now about how can we make it safer? Well, the, there comes a time when you do just have to say, okay, this is the situation. We will do everything we can. We are doing everything we can, but a horse will die in a horse race again, and it will give those people a chance to either demonstrate or go crazy on, on, on social media. I, I would hope everyone listening to this knows all the reasons why the game is a wonderful game. I would love to be able to talk to the real hardcore demonstrators and ask them what their end game is. Like, What are they trying to achieve? If they just want horse racing stopped, 
that's fine. But they have to remember there are no horses then. Like all these horses are just dead. And when you have the percentage of horses that live and race and have a great life compared to the percentage of horses that die, then obviously it's a fantastic way for a horse to live. Um, you know, horses in stables, as you two know, can have solariums. They can have swimming pools. They have massage treatment. They get blood tested if they sniff. Um, you know, there are all these things going on that a horse in the wild would never have. The high percentage of racehorses have an incredible life and would have no life without the game. So I would suggest that any relatively reasonable person would say, okay, well, let's just put this in human terms. Let's say you've got 10 human beings, but you know one of them would die next week. Would you say, okay, well, we're going to obliterate the 10 because we don't want that one to die? Or would you say, okay, well, we'll take that risk and nine will have fantastic lives, but we know we're going to lose one. Now, that's quite a small percentage, one in 10. In horse racing, it's a much, much better percentage for the horse. And I would suggest that anyone reasonable would see that. And while we must continue to do everything we can, I mean, I see trainers, I see people on Twitter going, oh, we'll open up our doors. These, these, these protesters have got no interest in coming to see what wonderful work you're doing. Like, it all looks great on Twitter and you get a few likes and saying, isn't that wonderful that you're going to do that? They will, there will not be a single one of these hardcore protesters who turn up to see what wonderful work because it, it defeats what they're doing. To, to put it down to crude comparison, it's very like Brexit, really, where there was a public uprising uh, against this country and no one knew what they were voting for but they just voted because they wanted something different yeah. and that is basically what these protesters are doing if it wasn't horse racing they'd be climbing over a fence at something else that they were upset about but horse racing is an easy target and we have to accept that which is why we have to have all the statistics to hand to point out why this sport is good it's an easy target because horses will die in it. And when you're dealing with something that you know will die, it does become hard to continue to support it. And it's hard for us as well. Like, you'll have friends, George and Charlie. Let's, let's ask you, Charlie. You'll, you'll, you'll have a friend who says to you, well, don't horses die? And it is really hard to respond to that because we don't want that either. <laughs> I, I agree. I actually, I was going to message my group of friends that don't work in racing before this podcast and just get their opinion on whether any of them had watched the national and what they thought of it. Because George and I have spoken before now, and we, yeah, the the first lap in particular wasn't the best viewing in the world. Was I think anyone who yeah. loves horse racing would be the first person to admit that that was not what we wanted, and it, yeah, you slightly were just dreading the next thing to go wrong. One of those loose horses cantering around the inside, whether they got back out and, you know. The thing is though, you know, Matt, you know, they look very agitated down at the start um, on Saturday, more so, and quite rightly so, they'd spent more time in that cauldron. The starter was under pressure to get the race off due to TV. And, you know, they, they looked under pressure and, you know, I, I, you couldn't definitively say that the, the, the cause of the accident wasn't... They all went tearing down to the first, maybe quicker than ever. 
And, you know, so yeah, it was I mean, completely con- contradictory to what they were trying to do, those protesters, which, is, at your point, is so true. The, most of these people are out for a fight. They don't necessarily mean, to, they don't mind what they're in a fight for, but they didn't realise that they cooked, they cooked those horses for an extra 20 minutes. They cooked the jockeys, the biggest moment of their lives, and it was pandemonium down at the start. They were rushing yeah. all over the place. The starter wanted them off, and they went herring down to that first race. I'm sure that it had something to do with the context of that first lap. George, I, I, look, it's impossible to prove, like a lot of things with horses, because they don't tell us. It's impossible to prove, but it wouldn't be a surprise, judged on the basis that before every horse race, I would imagine one of the messages that you as trainers give to your jockeys is get them down to the start as calmly as possible, particularly with a fractious horse. So just the fact you're doing that and they're going down calmly, when they when they're in a cauldron and that cauldron has been agitated, it, it, it kind of just is, is human logic to, to, to suggest that. But I find the whole thing very frustrating, like lots in horse racing, the fact that questions are hard to ask people are, are different. Like, well, I'd love to ask, for instance, uh, the guy Kevin Blake expertly spoke to the other night, but I'd just like to say him, like, you know, when you say you're heartbroken by a death of a horse in the Grand National, what what does that actually mean? Like, what do you do about it? Like, do you do you drive to the yard and do you sit everyone down and and bring them cakes and try and talk them through it? I mean, what what when you're as a protester and you say you're heartbroken by the death of a horse, what does it mean? Because then I'd like to say to them, well, I'll tell you what it means to us. It means to us that a stable lad or lass and probably quite a young person who might be aged between sixteen and twenty five will wake up the next morning and go to that box and will probably be in tears. It will mean a trainer speaking to an owner who might have bred that horse and grown up with that horse and looked after it every day of his life and be in tears. It will be staff walking around other horses pretty glum and upset and trying to keep everyone going because they feel like they've lost a member of their family. So when you're telling me you're standing there and you're jumping over this fence and you're heartbroken by the death of the horse, what are you actually then doing about that? Like other than jumping over a fence, which is not helping anyone, you know, there are, there are things you'd like to ask these people that never get asked and it's frustration. But, but at the end of the day, (laughs) this sport, maybe this is, the shot in the arm that the sport needs, that those in power who so often don't stand up for it, as at least I would like them to, uh, others might disagree, those in power need to be on the front foot constantly feeding feeding people with good news stories, going, our chief needs to go to the Asian Racing Conference and say, you know what, we're in a really good shape at the moment. We've just had this horse, Baid, who's been the second top-rated horse in the world and was the top-rated horse in the world. And we're on the front foot with welfare and we're really happy by this rather than going there with some sort of made up survey and telling the world that, that, you know, six female 16 to 21 year olds have been surveyed and they think horse racing is cruel, you know, start, start giving some positivity. Yes. Be realistic and understand the problems we face. But if you just, if you just sit there moaning about it and saying how awful it is effectively all the time, then that gets through. Yeah, one hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Matt, tell us a little bit more about the start. We, we haven't got much, so we don't want to take up too much more of your time. But what does a Windsor on a Monday evening look like for you? Pleased to be back. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's. Are you I, I love it. To seeing. Yeah, I mean, look, we have John and Thady Gosden. So Michael Stout pops in once a year. Um, Simon Crisford pops in once a year. It's always nice to see them and check they're still alive. 
Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's and then you get the trainers who always come here. Charlie Fellows often does come here. George got has to come here now because he has to put himself about. Um, so, um, I, I mean, I love, I mean, look, I'm here talking to you on a day meeting. The day meetings are always a different atmosphere. But those Monday evenings, yes, they could probably do with even more prize money. But they did put on the sprint series. They've got, I can, I can tell you this, when you come here, they've got a spanky new owners and trainers outfit, which is really nice. They've they've sort of um, holed out the uh, the area just next to the paddock that used to be there and made it much bigger and plusher. So they they have made some efforts here. Um, but, yeah, I think Windsor on a Monday night is what could be everything good about horse racing. It's a beautiful setting. It's a good atmosphere. There are, although the eateries have been cut down in recent years, there are pretty good eateries compared to most tracks. And I think if you were just not a racing aficionado like you two, but if you were just a normal person coming for a, for a day at the races and you arrive here by boat from the center of Windsor and have a night out with a couple of friends, and if there is a bit of music after, so be it, it would be hard to say it wasn't a pretty nice evening out. And compared to going to the theatre or even going to the cinema, if you're my missus who wants me always to take her to the ones that have got the sofas and then I have to get the pizzas and the cocktails in <laughs> through the whole thing, um, it can turn out a lot more expensive than, than a night at the races. So I, I think there are, I, I love Windsor, but then, you know, it's kind of my big meeting for Sky Sports Racing these days. Like, Windsor on a Monday night is my main shift, so I, I guess I have to like it. Matt, you've been an absolute star. Before you leave, yes. can you give us a horse to follow for the year? What horse are you particularly excited about seeing on the flat um, this year? Well, one horse I think who will be really good if, 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 if the horse is run in the right conditions is a horse called The Dream, who started <laughs> off really well We've just in the spoken about this at Doncaster, but <laughs> For some ridiculous reason, the bloke then ran it Running on the back. artificial surface at Newcastle <laughs> and quickly as well without any time to recover. Um, That's so um, good. I've no just had this to... conversation with him and just said what a balls up that was. Yeah. I mean, Kieran Schumacher must have been just laughing after the race, mostly he, when, he, when he went and won it with Clive Cox. And he, of course, couldn't. He'd already agreed to ride the winner. I mean, the message was there. Like, Schumacher had already told the trainer that the dream wouldn't be diligent Harry. But anyway, that aside, I think the only horse that should all excite us this year, and it's not uh, a dark horse in any way, it's the most famous horse just about in the country, is Desert Crown. Because Desert Crown promised something in the derby last year that we haven't seen in derbies for quite a long time. He, he promised to be an absolutely exceptional derby winner. And do you remember Corto Starr coming down early in his career and he had six months off and he suddenly turned into this wonder beast? Sometimes these little setbacks, not massive setbacks, but the little setbacks with these horses that are probably a flat horse, really, if we're all honest with each other, only just coming to themselves, three going on, four going on, five. Trained by, I'm sure you would agree, the master of the older horse, even though in the 80s and 90s he was a brilliant trainer of two-year-olds as well, and we easily forget that. But trained by the master older horse trainer, Desert Crown, he could just rip everything up this season and the form of the derby worked out pretty well. Westover's a pretty good horse as he showed against Equinox and although Westover was a bit unlucky on the day, lads, at the end of the day, Desert Crown absolutely ripped that race apart. So that's the horse that I think we should all put our hopes on for this season. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Um, Matt, thank you so, so much for taking time out of your day to come on this. We really, really appreciate you. You've been a fantastic guest as we <laughs> knew you would be. 
And um, I look forward to seeing you in the paddock I look, somewhere. I look forward to seeing you in Emma Banks's uh, base uh, basement later uh, in the year. Uh, well, I mean, no one watching or listening to this podcast will be fooled by those two kind statements because you know that the moment you see me at the race course, you the first thing either of you ever say to me, oh, God, it's that sucker. Uh, <laughs> no, no, thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Anyway, appreciate having me on. Have fun at Windsor. Take care, Matt. Cheers, All the best. Good, good show. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Chaps, we are two weeks away, really, now from the first classics, which is incredible. They come around so fast. Two and a half weeks away from the 2000, 1000 guineas. Um, how do you see the, the, the first classics of the year, George, Charlie? They look open at this stage. You know, Aidan normally comes here um, or someone nearly comes, comes here with a sort of a real shorty, um, you know, a Kingman or one of Aidan's. And that doesn't look to be the case. Um, Aidan's racing post trophy winner, I can't pronounce his name. Auguste Rodin. Looks to be more of a middle distance prospect but yeah. will start in the guineas naturally i mean they're talking about triple crowns and things for him so i guess if they feel he's a mile and a half horse he might be vulnerable in the guineas and um little, you know it was little big bear it's a big bear my nemesis i just cannot get over how i bumped into little big bear in a windsor castle last year it's crazy isn't it really Stumps from five to two into odds on as well. One. What do you think they're going to do? They don't just give you Royal Ascot winners. They're not easy to do, George. But the Norfolk give you the race. Hang on, we're not talking about handicaps here, Charlie. We're talking about the stakes races at Royal Ascot. I I mean, you take any Royal Ascot win. So (laughs) no, but anyway, he he's coming back off an injury. You know, the Chrisfords have got a couple of horses. There's a horse called Knight who looks quite a nice type, and Sakir, who's owned by Sheikh Khalid as well, in the same colours. Looked looked a rocket last year, but very quick. But is he too quick? That I think that'd be their concern. Maybe. Yeah. So yeah, they're coming thick and fast. We've got the trials all week. It'll be fascinating to see. It seems to be more fashionable now to miss a trial and go straight to the races, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aiden. But do you think that's Aiden? Aiden's. Most of Aiden's go straight to the Guineas, don't they? Well, it's just such a short time. You know yourself. You go and have a real hard race in the trial. I'm not talking about the context of these types of races for a horse. And you're backing up two, two and a half weeks, three weeks later. You don't, you don't need, you, you have a pick up a knock in the race. Yeah. You don't make it. Henry you don't eat that. up. Henry used to like a trial, didn't Henry he? Henry used to like a trial. I mean, but he was just different, wasn't he? He was different. Yeah. Um, and our own strings, how, how competitive do you feel your horses are for the time of year? And are you hoping to have winners between now and when we reconvene in May, chaps? You got any for the trials? I don't have any for the trials. <laughs> no? No, they don't run trials Link just in general, no. strings in general. Really happy, couldn't be happier. Them? Yeah, couldn't be happier. I mean, you know, we've, we, you know, as we've banged on a lot, the same narrative. We're very much running the horses in their lanes, you know. But we've got, we've got nearly forty-two-year-olds, and they, they are the, they are the horses that we're most looking forward to. They don't look like stars necessarily. Is that? I they, was about to say. Is it, you, there's uh, one I like a lot. Yeah, go on. Yeah, U.S. Navy flag. Um, Colt called uh, Lieutenant Rascal, who who looks head and shoulders. I worked an absolute rocket at the weekend. Go on, a showcasing filly that I bought. For well, I've just bred a showcasing filly. Have so, you? Yeah. Showcasing has been a very un, un, a very very lucky stallion for me. Very Maybe lucky we stallion. Can sort something out. Here. My first stakes winner was a showcasing. First and last. What? <laughs> No, you've had a few since then. It did take six years. About? It did take six years. Stakes winner. Oh, group. Sorry. Come on, mate. Sorry, group winner. Excuse me. <laughs> what was yeah, it? A filly. I mean, worked 
Who t- owns t- it? Took me at my Bedford House Racing. Oh, they really? don't know this. I played it down slightly, but so I've slightly mucked that. Well, up. guys, you've got a rocket here. Yeah. She worked yeah. unbelievably well. What is unbelievably well? You get so overexcited. What is in context? Do we have the data on her? Do we know how far she went? I don't do data. Well, you should do. I don't do. You data. need to put some data on them. I don't how want do you know data. she worked unbelievably well? Who rode her? The eye of the beholder, George. Yeah, just beholder. Know. When you know, you know. Do you not listen I'd to that? I like advert? data on her. I'd like I don't to know data. how far I don't need data she went. To tell me that she's a good horse i can tell you it's a good horse she walked she gave me eve lodge vibes put it that way and where did you work her over on the race over at the back of the flat on the grass on the grass up the hill yeah. how yeah. far four and a half and did they get going early or with did they take away with a four-year-old quite a nice and was, four-year-old. The, was the four-year-old being strangled like the video i saw of your last <laughs> no, piece of work no the four-year-old was not being strangled at all i'd like to see the video of that huh in a I'm minute. sure you would. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's very exciting. It is exciting. This is I why we do it. This is why we do it. Like that, I have to say, I don't get overexcited like he does. I you just do I talk s- the biggest load of crap. What are you on about? You don't get like I that. I don't. I'm oh, very level-headed. The on- I'm very <laughs> level-headed. <laughs> How many more pieces will she need? The all-important question for those. Work her into the ground, Charlie. Yeah, she'll be May. she'll be uh, she'll be May rather than she won't be April. Where are you thinking? You must have an I idea. Don't. No. You like Ascot, don't you? Mike? Love Ascot. Oh, nice fair track. Yeah. I've got a lot of C&D horses, which we were talking about, funnily enough, the other day, Charlie and I. I probably have 30 C&D horses, so I'll be well represented in those, those races by design, um, which I think it was such a sensible initiative to give everyone an opportunity to race against horses of the same value, just for people that... Um, Restricted novices were kind of brought more into play in the last few years where basically, you know, different bands you qualify in regard to your sales price or the median auction price of the stallion. And so those guys were bought the best. 200 US grand. New US Navy flag for 250 grand were able to run in those, in, in yeah. those races. A 200 grand. Can, can I ask you, before we go on for naps for this uh, episode... Can I just ask about the unfortunately filly that represents the podcast syndicate? How is she? Because I know you're quite upbeat about her prospects, she, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, she's good, actually. She's a big girl. You forget how big she is. She is a big girl. So it's not a surprise that she's only run once this year, like, um, once last year. Uh, she worked on the Albahathry poly track on Saturday, and she looked great, actually. I was really pleased with her. She worked with her horse that always works well and had never done it on the racetrack uh, but he he's a very good workhorse at home and she actually she went past him which surprised me slightly um but she looks great and i'd say she's a couple of weeks from being on a race course and i think the podcast syndicate will have a lot of fun with her this year will she win next time or it'll be once She'll again close. she will close. go close yeah yeah as long as she just gets her preliminaries right why don't you take her up to Newmarket for a paddock school you could do i'm gonna take a couple could do she... the thing the annoying thing is she's uh I'm not she got you to do your job i just suggestion wouldn't be the first time george so it's i actually meant that i, I said as i said that i said well, why should i see selling him but we quite a lot of Newmarket trainers take their horses up during the craven meeting yeah. and have a walk around and actually in america we did that every single runner every single race they went up the afternoon before because he races, you know. Every three. runner. So even if it was having its 10th run of the year. Every runner, every race, every runner. Wow. Yeah, every, even those group one horses go up in paddock school. It's, really? it's, it's, it's such a good exercise for them to go on a box up there, get the excitement of thinking they're going to race and then be put back on the box. Mm. I really see the benefit in it. Yeah. 
Now, the Naps did win last time, didn't they, from our first episode of Series 5? You did manage to nail a winner each. Mm. Um, maybe not quite first time, but... You, you, they no. quite in the races we thought they were no. going to win. <laughs> <laughs> they did win. But they did win. So, so what are we, what are we uh, putting up for, for this episode? This George, Charlie? This is yeah, I, I think there's a horse there called Provocateur, who, who is a, um, a filly that's probably well handicapped. Hi, Emma. Yeah, Emma Banks is Philly provocateur. Um, you really are. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm in a ditch with it. It was a very expensive filly, and she's rated in the high for, mid forties. So I don't think it's really doing me any favours um, f- highlighting this, Charlie. <laughs> so there's that, and you know, I would keep an eye on my two-year-old second time out as a, as a general rule. I, for whatever reason, I can't get them to win first time out, but we do have a good record second time out and I do think there's a really solid batch of two-year-olds to run over the next six weeks very good Charlie this is quite a difficult one because you're not training when it's no because no well I know but because unlike George I have a tendency to go and put them in the strongest race I can possibly find rather than the weakest race so I've got some quite nice entries this week but they're in hot races I love a see the stars filly that's entered up on Friday called Bacara Rose. She ran two really nice races last year. It was fourth on debut at Donny and then third at Kempton, where the front three pulled six lengths clear of the rest of the field. And she just came out worse on a three way duel for the win. She's a big, big, big girl. She's entered in the 10 furlong maiden at Newbury on Friday. Her work has been okay this spring until Saturday, where she really impressed me. It was the first time I looked at her, I was like, right, you're back. <laughs> Sounds like you just got out of bed on the right side on Saturday, maybe. Could every, done. Every, everything was sparkling for no, you. No, because the two-year-old worked on Thursday, oh, Georgie. Okay. So that, unless I've got them outside <laughs> of the bed three mornings away, which my staff would tell you was untrue. Look, just give this <laughs> filly a flick race. up on Saturday. Get a mark and let's start from there. She's already... No, off we go to the races, fully wound up, running against Gosden Stout. She's in the sources. Oaks, George. I can't go and give her a sodding she flip up. She might be in the Oaks. She's you not can't go and give her a flip round if you're planning on running in the Oaks. He can you, George? cannot help himself. You he know? wants every horse ready to run. Here we go. You in all the big meetings. The fucking Brighton Oaks or the Wolverhampton Oaks. Well, it's small steps <sighs> for mankind. I'm, it's all going well for now. We've got to keep them healthy. That is the thing. Keep yeah. the bloody things healthy. Yeah, true. So we're going on the filly. First time in a handicap, I'd say, for him. Leave the maiden on Friday. Leave the maiden, watch in brief, make a note, ram well, not quite up to that grade. (laughs) Nought to (laughs) to 80, (laughs) off 82, three weeks' time, we'll back her then. Right, that's that. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode two of series five. Just to remind you, we're sponsored by Fitzdares Bookmaker. We'll be back in May. Until then, Thanks to our producer, Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And on behalf of George, Charlie and myself, thanks very much for taking the time to listen. Goodbye. Goodbye.